Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And what we usually try to do is uh, make these radio shows something to do with somebody or something in the news or or some sort of set of events that uh, we will correlate today's events, today's happenings, today's interaction with the world with what this message of the kingdom of God was all about. And uh, that uh, that brings this message that the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is what we're supposed to be seeking into our present life, at least in, in, for today while we're talking about it. But are you implementing what the early Christians were implementing when they went out and became this peculiar people that were practicing Something that was different than what most of the other people were doing. And when we use terms like religion, Christianity is a religion. We use terms like slavery. We use terms like anarchy. We use terms like statist. And uh, they have meanings. But they have different meanings in different minds, in different people. So whenever we talk about these terms, we should try to define them according to how we are using them. And the reason I mentioned some of those terms just now was because we're going to talk about Mark Pazio this morning. And I was listening to some audios by Mark. And he uses a lot of those terms. And those terms mean different things to different people. And when you go to define those terms, you use other terms. And they may mean different things to different people. <laughs> so so it, it is very important when you talk about any particular topic that you define the terms you're using to talk about those topics. And he's a very emotional speaker, a very uh, energetic individual, and uh, has opinions. I, I listened to him on some other shows that he was on as guests. And I'm not above having him on as a guest, but uh, it's important that he'd have to approach me or somebody else would have to approach him. Because I don't go out and invite people on necessarily onto the show. But if somebody wanted to have a discussion or hear me have a discussion with them, we could do that. But I, I'm single-minded in my purpose. I, I want to preach the gospel of the kingdom, what that's all about. And I'm only bringing up Mark because of the fact that he says some things that appear to be not consistent with the message of Christ. He talks about Christ in some of his, I, I guess, uh, his seminars. And he sees Christ as an anarchist. And that is fairly accurate, except for what does it mean to be an anarchist? And he defines anarchist to some degree. And, of course, he defines that most people claiming to be anarchists are not anarchists. And I would have to agree with that. Because anybody going around with a stick that he hits people with or breaks windows with is not an anarchist. 
He is an archist. He is somebody who is trying to exercise authority over other people. If he's trying to tear down the government of the world, he's not an anarchist. He is an archist. Because some people want to have government. Some people actually need to have government because of other choices they've made in their life. As a matter of fact, God allows people to have government to punish them. When the people, the voice of the people in Samuel 8, want, 1 Samuel 8, wanted to have a government, a ruler, you know, a king, God told Samuel, let him have it. But tell him what's going to happen. Give him a heads up. Say that if you want to have this person who can exercise authority, this chief executive officer, whether he's a king or you elect him every four years or every six years or every two years, doesn't really matter. He's going to have the authority to make choices for you. He's going to be a man of power and authority over you. You're going to take some of your right to choose and you're going to give it to him and you say, you choose for us. And usually the way this goes is you fight our battles for us. You be our commander-in-chief. This is what Saul was originally, a commander-in-chief. Because they, Saul was good at defeating these people who came in and were trying to oppress them. And he didn't seem very oppressive himself. He seemed pretty just, right, and fair. So they said, let's make Saul our king and he will go out and fight our battles for us. So he was the original commander-in-chief that was elected by the voice of the people, says the voice of the people. And Samuel swore him into his office. And he became the commander-in-chief, the king of Israel. And he went out and fought their battles for him. Now, Samuel went through this big long list of things that would occur when you elect this leader who can exercise authority one over the other. He said he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. He's going to take the first fruits of your labor. He's going to take the, the best of your fields. He's going to uh, take uh, even your sons and daughters. He's going to take. And then you're going to cry out. And I'm not even going to hear you when you cry out because you have already rejected me that I should not reign over you. Well, how did God reign over you? Did he tell Samuel what to do, and then Samuel went out and told the people what to do? Well, Samuel told the people what they ought to do. One of the things they ought to do is not elect a king. <laughs> and he was pretty emphatic. But they were they wanted one. Now, the Bible knew that they would eventually want a king, because... You know, the Bible tells us that God knew that they would eventually want to have a king. And he told them that if you want to have a king, you got to write out these restrictions for your king. Your king, president, prime minister, commander-in-chief, whatever you want to call them. you got to write out these five things and put them down on paper. And then your priests need to read them to the king. Every day, all five things. Well, most people who say the Constitution is a biblical document that is inspired document don't realize that of those five things, only one of them appears in the Constitution. So they did not go to the biblical reference to say 
this is what, as a matter of fact, they've got one thing in the Constitution, guaranteed in the Constitution, that is forbidden in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I didn't point that out in the book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. It sort of did. It's between the lines. You should be able to put it together. But it is actually absolutely forbidden for you to make covenants with them or with the inhabitants where you go. That covenant includes constitutions. It includes contracts with them because you will limit the authority that God has given you. And and usually you do this because you want to limit your responsibilities. You don't want to be responsible. Somebody said that. And we may get to that today. They didn't want to be responsible for the money they had to give to government. Well, you know, liberty is about accepting your responsibilities. Liberty is about tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Uh, liberty is about fighting the battles to protect your society. In other words, when the Philistines show up, you got to show up. With all your other neighbors got to show up to stop the Philistines from oppressing this guy who lives on the outskirts of your community. Because that's usually they start with the guys on the outskirts of the community. Amalek comes in and he starts to drive your daughters and your daughter's sheep away from the well. You got to come in and say, uh-uh, you're not going to do it. Not on my watch. And everybody's got to come. When they blow the shafar, everybody's got to come and show up. That's that's required in a free society. Now, if you all show up, chances are there won't be a fight. Nobody's going to have to go to war or anything. You go with a willingness to go to war, if that's what it takes. But you just stand between evil and the deeds evil wishes to do. And then they evil usually will stop. And if you bring the Holy Spirit... I can guarantee you that evil will stop. <laughs> if you don't bring the Holy Spirit, well, then you may be on your own because you didn't bring the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you bring the Holy Spirit? Well, we'll get into that too. But So anyway, when I was listening to uh, Mark this morning, and, and I've listened to him in a number of different shows, like I said, so but I just... He says that the, there's only two great divide or one great divide but making two people in the world, those who believe in slavery and those who do not believe in slavery. Well, right away, we have two words here that we probably need to define, believe <laughs> and slavery. So, for one thing, believe, belief is generally considered something that is deeply ingrained. It's not just an idea or a thought or something you think. It's actually ingrained in your being. It's it's a conviction. It's something that's deep down inside. Now, slavery, that has a multitude of definitions. If you Do you have the right to go out and capture somebody and tie them up and force them to work for you? Well, that, that's one definition of, of slavery. To force somebody to work for you. 
That's illegal in the United States, is to go out and force somebody to work for you. What's not illegal in the United States is involuntary servitude. So, you can voluntarily agree to be of service to other people. That's legal. And you can sign a contract that says, I will play for the Red Sox. And they will pay me X amount of money. And if I violate the rules and terms of my employment with the Red Sox, they can find me. They don't have to pay me as much money. They can take money out if I violate the rules. So those are the terms of the contract. You're kind of like a slave, except for it was voluntary that you signed the contract. And this is going to be important because this is another thing Mark uh, and a lot of other people says, where's the contract? Because they don't, they don't believe that there's a contract. They don't believe they signed anything. And I, almost everybody has signed something. Uh, so, you, and the truth is, you don't have to sign something to enter into a contract. You, that, that, there's a lot of people who couldn't read or write and they entered into contracts. Uh, it, entering into a contract is often by word or deed. What you do enters into a contract. And I've given this story many times of a guy who comes out and he's starving in the wilderness and he's about to die and he comes upon this goat and has a collar on. And he knows that somebody owns this goat. And he looks all around and he can't see anybody that owns the goat, but he's about to die. He is absolutely famished. So he takes out his uh, pocket knife and he kills the goat and he starts a fire and he cooks the goat up and he eats the goat and he takes the collar with him because he knows this goat belonged to somebody else. It just wandered off. But I had to eat it or I would die. And so when he finds people, he says, who owned the goat that had this collar? And he tries to find that person and he tries to pay that person for the goat. I had to eat your goat. I was dying. I was starving. The fact that he took that collar and he tried to find the owner to pay the owner for it means he was not stealing the goat. Necessity makes the law. He would have died. And a man's life is more than a goat's life. So, But he wants to pay the man back. So he did not steal the goat. He literally pre-entered a contract to pay for the goat, the value of the goat. So, he didn't sign anything, but he entered into a an agreement. This is natural law, and, and Mark talks about natural law. This is natural law. You cannot say, you know, he could have uh, carved on the tree, kill the goat here this day, I have the collar, I am searching for the owner. And um, so, therefore, he he has left evidence that he was not a thief. But he was borrowing the goat without permission because there was no time to obtain permission. And he was trying to pay the owner back. So, he didn't steal it. He entered into a contract without signing anything. Because he ate the goat. 
And now he has to pay the person who owned the goat. And uh, the goat wandered off of its own accord. And the other guy was probably looking over the wrong hill for the goat and didn't find him yet. But this guy found him. So anyway, that's an important concept to understand. So back to this slavery thing. Uh, Most people, you know, one of the things that shocked me once when I was reading about Egypt and it said slavery was never very popular in the governmental system of Egypt. There was very few slaves in Egypt. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about? Slaves in Egypt. Well, they enslaved all the Israelites. They were all slaves. No, not really. And we use that term to describe the bondage in Egypt. But the bondage in Egypt doesn't really meet the criteria for slavery. Because it was the result of a contract. It was not the result of uh, them going out and capturing the Israelites and dragging them back, you know, after a war or after just uh, kidnapping them, dragging them back to Egypt and making them slaves. No, they didn't do that. They entered into a contract. Now, real briefly, just go back, watch this scenario. Joseph was not the oldest son of uh, his father and uh, Jacob. Uh, yet he was given the coat of many colors. He was given this position of authority, uh, this position over some of his older brothers, and they were jealous of that. And eventually they beat him up, threw him into a pit, wanted to kill him, chose not to kill him, but sold him into slavery to their own cousins, sold him to the cousins who bought him out of the pit. So now the cousins... They didn't throw them in the pit. But they made an agreement with the brothers that we will give you this money if you give them to us and we will take them off. And they took them off and they did not take them back to their uncle. They took them back to Egypt or took them to Egypt and sold him into slavery. Now, they were getting their money back. Now, they could have taken them to Joseph, and Joseph would have given them, not to Joseph, but to Jacob, and Jacob would have given them their money back, but they didn't choose to do that. It was probably the terms of the agreement, because they didn't want, they would only sell him out of the pit if you weren't going to take him back to Jacob, because we don't want to get into trouble for Jacob. So they're acting with jealousy and envy and dishonesty and greed. And they sold their brother into slavery. Well, years later, we see them run out of money, run out of food, run out of resources, and have to sell themselves into servitude in order to survive the famine. Because they were not prepared for the famine. Had Joseph been at home, he probably could have predicted the famine and they, everybody would have been coming to them because they would have stockpiled food for seven years during the good years. But they didn't do that. They didn't know to do that because they had sold their ticket to salvation into slavery. Now, that's actually what is going to happen a thousand or more years later with Jesus Christ and the Pharisees. 
they sold Christ into death and said they had no king but Caesar. They were no longer citizens of the kingdom of God. They were out. They were cast out by the words of their own mouth. And now other Jews, by the thousands, accepted Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the king of Judea, and the high priest of the temple. And they became what we eventually call Christians. Now, there's another group of Christians wandering around that were started by Constantine, but the original Christians, they were doing what Christ said. They were followers of the Christ, the Messiah. And they had an anointing of their own. Uh, Their ministers had received the baptism of fire at Pentecost and came out worked daily in the temple, rightly dividing the bread from house to house. Now, they were not slaves. They were servants of God, these ministers. And they served God by serving the people in the practice of pure religion. So now this is going to bring us to another topic that Mark brings up. Because he thinks that Jesus was against Organized religion. He actually uses the word organized religion. And organized financial institutions. And government. That Jesus was against these. Because he was an anarchist. Now he's right that he was an anarchist. But he's not against government. Because anarchy is a form of government. And that's, that's the key to understanding the gospel. Is that anarchy is a form of government. It is actually even a form of statism. But it's not the way we normally use the word status, so that could be deceiving. But I'll explain why um, later on in the show, why I say that uh, anarchy is a form of statism. Because if you look at the definition of, of statism, statism is defined as uh, uh, an idea... Now, there's a couple of different definitions that are floating around, but in political science, statism is this belief that the state should control either economics or social policies or both. And we're going to talk about exactly, we're going to put a twist on that word statism. We're not going to use it normally because it would be misleading. But we're going to show you that anarchy is actually a form of statism. So, welcome back. Uh, So, I won't hold you in suspense. How in the world can anarchy be a form of statism? Let's go back to that definition again. And and the reason we're exploring this is so that you get an idea of what words mean. Like I said, we probably won't use the word statism to define anarchy. But just to understand how easy it is to uh, misunderstand 
what somebody is saying by not understanding thoroughly the words that they're using and the way in which they're using them will show you that statism is a form of anarchy. Back to that, that definition. Political science. In political science, the word statism is a belief that the state should control either economic or social policy or both to some degree. Now, the word state there is not all cap S-T-A-T-E. It's not capital S-T-A-T-E. It's simply S-T-A-T-E. So, what does that word mean? Now, when we say state, we usually think of a corporate state. Some sort of, you know, like the state of Oregon or the United States as a corporate government. What's a corporation? Two or more people gathered together as if they were one person for a particular purpose under a pre-existing authority. That's a corporation. Most states that when we say states are forms of corporations. They are centralized power to choose, the right to choose. They're centralized into the hands of like Congress or a king or a president or a prime minister or some sort of delegated authority. In order to give them authority, you have to get that authority from somewhere. And that authority was originally vested in the individual. In the state of nature, a man has rights that pre-exist by his existence. He has those rights. When he dies, those rights are either passed on to the next generation or simply go back into the ether. <laughs> and they, they no longer exist. But while he lives, he has certain natural rights. Now, he can contract away those rights. He can neglect those rights. And, you know, it's like you have muscles in your arm. If you don't ever use your arm, if you just, you know, you never use it, you put it in a cast and you don't use it for a year, when you take the cast off, the muscles will have atrophied. They will not be there. They will, you'll barely be able to pick up your arm because they've been sitting unused for all this time. Your joints may have even begun to fuse. So if you, you use it or lose it. So you can lose rights by not signing anything. <laughs> uh, you can lose rights by what you do. You can lose rights by making contracts. If you're, you know, we, we have a section in the book Covenants of the Gods where we talk about if you're captured by pirates, you, you can overthrow those pirates whenever you get a chance and escape and you're not a slave. But if you sell yourself to pirates in order to get some sort of remuneration, well, then you may have an obligation until you pay back the pirates what they gave you. And, of course, this is what the pirates always do. You know, this is why they have walk the plank, is that they capture you. They sink your ship. Well, now they bring you on their ship, and you're now afloat on their ship. Their, the ship that they sunk is gone. And so now you're theoretically their prisoner. They want you to join them. And they give you the choice. Join or leave the ship. And that's why they have the plank. You walk the plank. Well, they always had planks to 
get down onto a dock or uh, onto another ship to go from this ship to that ship. They'd put the two planks there, tie the ships together, and then you walk across the plank. The problem with walking the plank, there is no other ship. <laughs> you just walk out and fall into the ocean. You don't want to work on this ship. Overboard you go. We're not going to throw you overboard. We're just going to make you walk the plank. Or you can sign on as a member of the crew. Once you sign on, now you're obligated. Well, is that really fair? You know, uh, that's definitely coercion. But they go through the format and uh, they think they got you. Well, you can overthrow those pirates. But that you have to have real coercion. You can't just say for convenience I signed this because they, they were eating really good and they were just giving us bread and water. And if I, if I signed the agreement, then I would get better food. Well, that's, you don't value your liberty very much. But anyway, back to this idea of statism. So they don't define, they don't say central state. They don't say corporate state. They, they don't say it even with the way in which they write the word state. So what is the original state? The original state is man in the state of nature. Man creates government. God never created government. Man created government. God created man. And man was endowed by God with certain unalienable or inalienable rights. Uh, and that's, that's where rights come from, from man. Governments have no, that governments don't create rights out of thin air. They are created by men coming together and making agreements, binding themselves by word, by deed, by whatever. So, the state should control the economic social policy. In an anarchy, the power of the state is in the hands of the individual. The individual man. Because there is no archaic, there is no ruler. So, in an anarchy, the state has control either of the economic or social policy or both. It's just that that control is divided up with every man. In other words, you have a purse in your, on your side, and that's your money. You have hands. You have feet. You have things that you accumulate that is proper that you have and accumulate those things. And you have total control over the way in which you exercise your economic and social policy. So you see, statism, anarchy is statism. It's just not centralized or incorporated. The corpus of the state is within each individual. Now, that doesn't mean that now I'm going to constantly refer to an anarchy as, <laughs> as uh, practicing statism, but uh, because that would just lend to confusion. Because most people, when they think of statism, they think of a centralized corporate state. Now, here's another word that we need to look at, because this is a word that he uses all the time, organized um, religion, organized uh, financial institution, or even organized government. It is, is that a good term to use, organized religion? No, it is a 
horrendous term to use in describing religion. Pure religion. Religion is only mentioned once in a good sense in the Bible. It's only mentioned five times. Government is mentioned about 700 times. But religion is mentioned five times. Now, forms of religion, depending on your definition of religion, uh, are mentioned many, 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 many times in the Bible. Or the duties of religion. And I say duties. People, people today, they don't like the word duty because they think religion is what you think about God. And if you look it up in a dictionary today, that's what you'll find as a definition. Religion is what you think about God or a supreme being. They won't even use the word God. Religion is what you think about a supreme being. 200 years ago, the definition of religion in the dictionary was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. So you had a duty to your fellow man and you had a duty to God and religion was simply the performance of that duty. Well, if we look at Jesus as a God or the God or some form of God, which is what is part of the doctrine that, you know, Jesus was God. Of course, over there, uh, Tiberius was God too, to some people. And Paul says there are gods many. And the word God was actually used both Elohim and Theos, which is the Greek term, Elohim, the Hebrew term, that we translate into God. Both of them were used to address judges and magistrates in courts of law because they were ruling judges. So if Jesus is your ruling judge, then then Jesus is your God. If he's deciding for you and telling you what you want to do, it, of course, now he's only going to do this in your heart and in your mind, and he does it through the Holy Spirit, then Jesus is your God. But if you have somebody else who is the ruling judge of your life, making choices for you, that's your God. And you can put a small G on it or a big G on it, but that's your God. <laughs> so anyway, so you've got this this idea that somehow or other that, you know, organized religion is a bad thing. Organized religion is just the organized way in which you fulfill your duty to God and your fellow man. Well, Jesus told his apostles, feed my sheep. We know that the Christian conflict with Rome was mostly, well, I know, I don't know if you know or not, if you've read our articles, you should know by now, but the conflict with Rome was mostly about signing up at the Roman government temples for social welfare, the free bread that they gave out. And it also included free wine at times, and free cheese at times, whatever they had the surplus of. And it even included money, it even included access to... Uh, the the games, because you get get this little tessera, little coin, clay coin, and you show that, and then that knew you were registered at the temple, so therefore you could get into the games, and see you can get in inter- entertainment. So that that's critical. You could also get into banking. You could get into all kinds of things because you were a member of their political society. And their economy. Christians would not join 
those temples. They would not register their births in the temple of Saturn. That's where birth registrations were kept. They would not register for free bread at uh, the Parthenos and these other temples because that would have been praying to the men who called themselves benefactors. That would be in praying to the fathers of the earth, the Patronuses, the Patries of the earth, who offer you all kinds of benefits at their table. Now, this isn't new. Proverbs told us this. You know, if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat. You know, if you're on that pirate ship and they're giving you bread and water because they don't, they're not allowed to make you starve. They need to share that much with you. But you want to eat, you know, pork and, and, uh, and tack or whatever it is that they're serving everybody else and wine and get a ration of rum and you sign the accords, well, you're on your own, buddy. Because you wanted to eat at their table, you signed the accords, now you're not taken by pirates, you're taken by your appetite. And they're telling you this way back in the Old Testament. And Jesus is certainly telling you, this is how you pray. You don't pray to your fathers in Rome. You pray to God in heaven. And you gather together in this like manner. He talks about our Father who art in heaven, not our Father who art in Rome. So, who do you pray to? Do you pray to our Father who art in Rome? Or Washington, D.C.? Or in Ontario? Or in Sydney, Australia? Or wherever? Where do you pray for your benefits? For your your dainties that He wishes to give you? You're supposed to pray to our Father who art in heaven. Hallow be thy name. What does that mean? Hallow be thy name. Hallow means separate be thy name. This is how you practice pure religion. Pure religion is unspotted by the world. You don't want to take any benefits from the fathers of the earth. You want all your benefits to come from the Father who art in heaven. And hallow means holy be thy name. Means separate be thy name. That's what the word means, is separate. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. This is how his kingdom comes. That's what you're supposed to be looking for. When thy will be done. What is the will of the Father? That you covet your neighbor's goods? That you take away from your neighbor? That you exercise authority over your neighbor and try to rule over your neighbor? No. The, you know what it is to love your neighbor. That's your that that's what his will is. That you love your neighbor as yourself. You care about your neighbor as yourself. If your neighbor is starving, you will help him out. If he's starving because of laziness, you will help him out there too. Which you'll tell him you got to stop being lazy. You will not give him a seven course meal. You will give him bread and water until he decides to get up. <laughs> Get busy. Stop being lazy. Stop being slothful. Stop being foolish. So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come when thy will be done on earth. Right here now. As it is in heaven. And, And you're supposed to get your trespasses forgiven as you forgive others. So, forgiving others is very important. 
And so you have to forgive them their foolishness so that you can be forgiven for your foolishness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And again, that's back to how does the Holy Spirit deliver you from evil? Well, that's another whole story. But anyway, so back to uh, Mark. He, Do you believe in slavery? I believe slavery exists, but I don't believe slavery is a solution. I don't believe that we have the right to capture people and force them to work for us. But if somebody makes an agreement to work in servitude in order to obtain benefits, or even if they they're faced... Now, you got to remember, Israel was facing famine and starvation when it went to sign up with Egypt. And they, everybody went under this contract. Not just Some people try to tell you that the Israelites didn't go under that contract. No, they went under that contract, very clearly. And Egyptians went under that contract. And 10% of their, or 20% of their labor belonged to the Pharaoh. And he could tax them 20% income tax on all their labor. Now, you could pay it a number of ways. You could probably pay it with coin, but you could also pay it with service, where you actually had to go and work. That was called a corvee system of statutory labor, or tribute, where a portion of your labor belonged to the state, to the pharaoh. And that was the bondage of Egypt. It wasn't slavery. It was servitude. The Pharaoh had authority over you because you ate at his table. Because you accepted his benefits. So I believe that that's real. Yes, I believe that that's real. And that he has real authority. Now, I see Mark skipping over this social contract and says, oh, well, I don't, I don't have any social contract. I never signed anything. Show me the contract kind of thing. You know, I hear people say this all the time. I, uh, yeah, I heard him on um, Joyce Riley's show referring to that social contract as if I never signed anything. But the reality is, is that people did sign stuff, and uh, they are, uh, they have signed a lot of things. As a matter of fact, I know that uh, he's having a, a seminar down in Acapulco, and I assume that he would get there with a passport. Because you can't hardly get there without a passport. Well, if you have a passport, you sign something. You bet you sign something. (laughs) Now, all you have to do is, you know, if you're going to sign, you know, like I I tell people, I am probably the only one that you'll hear of that actually read the Social Security Act before they made any changes. I read the book written by the guy who created the Social Security Act, who devised the Social Security Act. (laughs) Well, I also have read the passport laws, and I have read the regulations to get a passport, not just the application, but the actual regulations of what it means to get a passport. When you get a passport, you're agreeing to all sorts of things. That's what it says. You cannot have a passport without being verified by oath. Well, when you sign under penalty of perjury, that's your oath. You don't always have to raise your right hand. That's your oath. 
And it says, Application shall be duly verified by his oath before a person authorized and empowered by the Secretary of State to administer such oath. They talk about that. In U.S. Title 22, U.S. Code 213, they they talk about what that oath is and what it includes. It says, I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. This is the basis of what you're agreeing to when you sign under penalty of perjury. And this is well published. You can look online. You can you can look it up. The fact that you don't look it up when you apply for a passport, that's your sloth. That That's you doing that. They've published it. They've made it available. And then you can go read Title 42 U.S.C. 666. <laughs> Requirement of statutory uh, prescribed procedures recording of a Social Security number in certain family matters. Procedures requiring that the Social Security number of any applicant for a professional license, driver's license, occupational license, recreational license, or marriage license be recorded on the application. And the same with applying for a passport. That Title 42, Section 666, that's it, I'm not making this up, requires that you have this Social Security number. If you want to know what the Social Security number is all about, go read our articles on employee. Because that's your employee identification number. Your social security number will work as an employee identification number. And so you entering into agreements when you apply for that number. You say, well, my, I was just given it. Well, then if you use it to obtain benefits like a passport, you're saying, I'm one of you guys. I'm a member. Christians would not do that. They were not members of those temples. They had another temple, another organized religion. Again, religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, which includes the taking care of the needy of your society. But if you're going to be a Christian, you have to do it by faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and violence. The temples of the world, such as the Social Security Administration, Welfare Administration, those are your temples, those are your local, that's where you go and congregate to get your benefits, your free bread. That's your religion. It's public religion. See, when, when in about 200 AD, the emperor outlawed private religion and burned Christians to death, killed Christians, threw them into the Colosseum because they would not sign up for the public religion, the public welfare system. And thousands of Christians died because they would not sign up for what every modern Christian signs up for on a regular basis. This is a little off topic, but you know I'm always hearing about vegan this and vegans that and oh, cruelty to animals. Almost every vegan I know believes in not only eating meat, but eating meat with blood in it. And I'll show you 
what I'm talking about next on the Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, so how in the world is a vegan eating meat with blood in it? <laughs> because they believe in welfare through men who exercise force. The prohibition about eating meat with blood in it really is twofold. Yet, it's a little bit of a dietary issue that you could eat meat, but you weren't to eat meat with blood in it. But blood is the seed of the soul. You are not to live by force. You were not to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You were to bind one another together by faith, hope, and charity. This even goes to the golden calf. The golden calf was a central bank. It was a, it was referred to in the most uh, Greek city states as the reserve fund. They took their gold and they put it into this statue because that was a way of securing it. Somebody wasn't sneaking coins out of the treasure chest or out of the vase where it was normally kept. I mean, you, they would put coins in a vase and uh, then seal it with wax and then put an imprint on the seal so nobody could get in there and get one of those coins out. But then you don't know if somebody did get in there and and put a fake seal on there and the coins aren't in there anymore. There's a bunch of dirt or, or lead. So well, they put the gold in a statue and you could tell if somebody robbed the bank because he was missing a leg or a horn or something because somebody took it off. Somebody sawed it off in the middle of the night and the bank's been robbed. But why did they put all this money, this gold, in the statue? To bind the people together, to bind the people that you can flee if you want, but all your wealth is in this statue. And you're given coins that we create that make you have to work in our economy. That's statism in the sense of somebody is controlling the economics of your society by centralization of that. And you see the centralization of that because your wealth is not in your purse on your hanging on your side. It's in that statue. And and you do the same with political power. You elect a king, a president, a prime minister, and he's going to make choices for you. Why? Because you don't want the responsibility of having to show up every time somebody's in need. Every time there's an injustice. You don't want to take the time to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And that's why Christ condemned the Pharisees. That and their system of Corbin. Corbin means sacrifice. What was their system of sacrifice? Compelled offerings. You had to pay in. There were actually people taking an account. That's what a scribes means, an accountant. Taking an account of what you paid in and what you haven't paid in. You could be penalized if you didn't pay in enough. This was a shift that took place. Along with a number of other shifts, like the Hasmoneans brought in a shift about land ownership. You don't understand the history 
And part of that is you don't understand vocabulary. So, yeah, most vegans believe in socialism. And socialism is where you get to take a bite out of your neighbor. And it's okay. And and Christ condemned that. Christ was not a socialist. He was about charity. Char- socialism is not about charity. The means of production is not in the hands of the individual. His purse is not hanging on his side. It's somewhere else. Does this mean that they're not organized? You need to be organized in the practice of your religion and the practice of financial institutions. When those seven men were picked in Acts, look out amongst yourself, pick seven men you trust. We will appoint them over this business because it's not right that we wait on tables. The word tables there is the word for bank. It's even translated bank in the same Bible. Well, he, What Peter was doing was creating a financial institution, an organized financial institution. Remnants of which are still coming down to us to this day. And we'll explain on the network, if you join the network, we'll tell you what that looks like. They were very organized. This is what scared the bejesus out of the Roman emperors with Christians. is because of the union and discipline of the Christians. That union and discipline was highly organized. But it was not an authoritarian organization from the top down. It was from the bottom up. In other words, the right of every individual, how much he was going to share and with whom he was going to share it with, was in the hands of every individual. It was a government. It was an anarchy. But it was an anarchy with virtue. Where people learned to care about each other. That made them a peculiar people. Because everybody else, all the other governments, Christians were only about 5% of the Roman Empire. All the other governments were based on force, fear, and violence. I am not against government. I am pro-government. I'm actually even pro-bad government. (laughs) Now, how could I be pro-bad government? Paul tells you, governments are there. We're allowed to institute governments to punish the wicked. How do they punish the wicked? They take and take and take and take and take until they finally cry out. (laughs) So... God allows you to have government. You saw that when I mentioned 1 Samuel 8. He allows you to have government. Because he knows that government will take and take and take and take and take and take. Until you cry out. And hopefully you repent. Okay, now you tell me you repented. You don't like this government that takes and takes and takes and takes. And And you realize, some of you realize... That it has power because you've been eating at its table. And you've been giving it power. You've been applying for its benefits. Free education. Take care of my parents. Uh, you know, I paid into Social Security. You take care of my parents. No, that is not the solution. That is not what Christ was saying. The money you paid into Social Security is gone. It's all gone. It's bankrupt. It's been bankrupt since day one. It's never been solvent. There is no separation of funds. There is no separate trust account. That's been ruled over and over again by the supreme gods. Oh, excuse me. Supreme courts. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> those judges are ruling judges. They're deciding good and evil. And they've said there is no separation of funds. And the reason that they started Social Security is because the government was already bankrupt. It needed more assets. And they asked for you to be their asset. And you said, sure, for the Social Security, I will sign up and become an asset for you. Mark uh, Pasio is constantly using the phrase fake a Christians. I won't say the whole thing, but they're fake Christians. I agree. But they're fake asset Christians. (laughs) They're assets. They're surety for debt. This is all written down. They sign the papers. There is a social contract. It may may not be like Hobbes says or some of the others who talk about social contract, but you're signing things all the time. And even if you weren't signing things, if you're not taking care of your parents, but the state is taking care of your parents, then there's a problem. You need to take care of your parents. You need to honor your father and your mother. That's what honor means, to fatten, to take care of. So repentance is not just not taking their benefits now while you're young and you're strong. And to apply for a passport is taking a benefit. It's asking for their protection to go overseas. You say, well, there's no way to get overseas without it. Well, that's what you tell me. I mean, 30,000 Mexicans cross the border (laughs) without a passport. (laughs) You can get overseas one way or another. And if you would come together and start piously performing your duty to God and your fellow man by becoming the practice of pure religion in a network that is highly organized from the bottom up by the tens, hundreds, and thousands. This is another thing. I posted something in our our kingdom newsletter. And uh, I got an email back from that. But they begin, you know, it's kind of a come on newsletter. I said, when did Jesus command the people? And uh, I said, he told them to gather in fifties and hundreds. He commanded them to organize themselves in small groups and to gather in fifties and hundreds. Those small groups were to gather in fifties and hundreds. Jesus commanded that. He actually uses the word that means commanded the people. To do that, to organize themselves into tens, fifties, and hundreds, which then it actually uses the word uh, company twice. You only see it once, but it's actually written in the original text twice, which shows that you're supposed to do this pattern over and over again. So it's tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, and tens of thousands, etc. He commanded the people to organize in that way. Now, I haven't told you where he did that, but I'm telling you, he did command the people. This guy writes back and he says, let's see, I'll I'll quote him exactly. Let's see if I can uh, find where he says it. He says, no, that was not Jesus. That was Moses' father-in-law, not Jesus. Because I didn't tell him where I, I said that Jesus commanded. I said he commanded that they do that. Well, I wrote him back and said, no. He actually commanded. (laughs) That's actually what he did. He commanded that they organize. And they weren't going to get anything to eat unless they did that. 
They had to organize in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, and he also uses the word rank because this you, this appears twice in the, the the gospels in Mark and and in Luke. And I, I pointed out that, and actually I sent him the quote, at least one of the quotes in, in Mark, and it says, "And he, meaning Jesus, commanded them to make all sit down." By companies, that word companies is in there twice, upon the grass, and they sat down in ranks, and that word is repeated twice, ranks, ranks, by hundreds and by fifties. And so the, the, the companies were tens, and then they were to gather also in these fifties and hundreds. And that's why they put those words in there twice, ranks. They were organizing themselves. Why? Because they were about to get fed the loaves and fishes. And they weren't going to get any loaves and fishes until they organized themselves. And that's right there in the text. And this Stephan, who thinks he knows the Bible, didn't know that. And I'm sure lots of other people who saw the newsletter were thinking the same thing. But they didn't check it out. They didn't find out. Well, Tuesday we're going to have a study call. And everybody can you join the network. Go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org and join the network. And they'll notify you the number and everything. Because uh, I can get a message out to the whole network really quick. It takes hours and hours and hours to send things out with a newsletter. So you need to be on the network. And if you really want to know what's going on, you have to form a congress. You have to sit down in the tens, fifties, and hundreds and organize yourselves. From the bottom up. So organized religion was a definitely a topic of Jesus Christ and an important topic of Jesus Christ who advocated organized religion. Religion being the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. There is absolutely nothing wrong with organized religion. Now the question is, how do you organize it? And this is what I'm showing you in this show, is that statism and anarchy can be synonymous terms depending on how you define statism. Because, you know, in in the United States government, they they talk about separation of powers. You have power in the judiciary branch and the executive branch and the legislative branch. Well, in the kingdom of God, you have a separation of powers too. You have Joe and you have Steve and you have Bill and you have Bob and you have Ted and you have Michael and you have uh, all these different people. And each one has part of the power of the kingdom. But it only works if they exercise that power with virtue. Then it's an anarchy. It's statism. They're in the natural state. Hopefully with God working in their hearts. There is no king in the kingdom of God except for Christ working in your hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's why Christ had to leave. Otherwise, you'd be constantly going to him Like he went to Moses and saying, okay, we had a dispute. He wants to be the head and he wants to be the head. And he wants to sit on your right hand and he wants to sit on your left hand. And Jesus said, that's not for me to decide. Well, how does it get decided? Through the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of Bob, Ted, Steve, (laughs) all these guys sitting in tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands. In a very organized fashion for the purposes of exercising pure religion. How long have you been listening to these broadcasts? 
And why are not you in a congregation setting down on the grass by the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands? Because Christ commanded that you do that. Then you're wondering, how come I get into these legal messes? How come I get into these economic messes? How come I'm short money for the power bill? How come I'm short uh, money for uh, food? How come I'm short money for medical expenses? Are you sitting in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands? Well, then why are you expecting loaves and fishes? (laughs) Because Christ commanded that you sit down in those companies and ranks first. And then you get loaves and fishes. So the idea that there's something wrong with organized religion is hooey. (laughs) It's phony. It's a phony argument. And I understand why people make it. Because when they say organized religion, they're thinking of the Pope or of, of uh, you know, the Presbyterians or the Baptists or all these denominations. There is one denomination of the Christian church. And that common denominator is Christ. And how do you know who has Christ in them? Well, they're keeping his commandments. If you love me, you keep my commandments. So if you love him, you will keep his commandments. There he says, he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. And ranks of ranks of hundreds and fifties. Because like I said, that word in the original text that you see translated ranks appears twice along with the word companies, twice. Because they're showing they're repeating the pattern over and over again. They believe there was at least 5,000 people there. 5,000 men there. Well, if there were 5,000 men, there could have been wives and children and all kinds of people. It could have been 10,000 people. Or or 20,000 people. You got 12 apostles. How in the world are they even going to pass out all this food? (laughs) How is everybody going to get eaten? And then they go and they collect. Why? Why? Why do it? Because they were organized. And the fact that they were so well organized scared not only the Romans, but it scared those who wanted Christ crucified. Because when they came out at Pentecost, they did this same exact thing. Thousands of people, thousands of men are getting baptized. Them and their whole families will now be saved by the kingdom of God. They will be satisfied by the kingdom of God. They will be provided social security through the kingdom of God. Now, that operates a little different than the social security system you have out there. You're not going to automatically get a check. You know, it's not going to be direct deposits. Although we could do that. (laughs) But it won't be, it's not an entitlement. It's based on hope that people will be there for you. But now let me ask you this. Are you there for people? Are you gathering and casting your bread upon the waters in a system based on charity that is very uh, personal? Because you first you've got them in companies of 10. And then those 10s gather in, in ranks of 50s and 100s. So anyway... How, uh, how many of you, by the end of this program, will go and join the network, find out our study call. You can ask questions on the study call. It'll be Tuesday night. 
will go over this and explain this again. And see, I don't know that I disagree with Mark Pazio. I disagree with some of the things that he says because I don't think he always knows what he's talking about. But I don't know. He, he could learn. And, and I admit, most people don't know these things and how they work. But this is how the kingdom of God worked. This is what pure religion was. It was organized. Some of the other things that he says, let's see if we can get all those before we get to the end of the show. He talks about financial institutions, like I said, the, the seven men, which they did both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They looked out amongst themselves and they picked men. Why? Because they had Greeks being neglected. It wasn't, you know, like the, my next door neighbor who's Greek, he's being neglected. This is like people in Greece are being neglected. They had to get funds there because there was a, this is the way it went down, where Rome started collapsing. I mean, right now in uh, America, they're having extremely cold weather on the East Coast. I mean, the storms that were coming in at Cape Cod the other day were just uh, scary. How cold and windy and icy it was and everything. Here, we're getting 50-degree weather every day. You know, I'm out uh, slipping around in the mud. I mean, we got rain and 50-degree weather the other day, and we're at 4,000 feet in a high northern climate. But we're not getting those snowstorms. And it's the same way it will be as things break down in society. Somebody's going to have trouble over here, and somebody's not having any trouble over here. So the people over here can help the people over there. And so how do you get the funds from here to there? You going to do it through a bank? Well, no. You do it through the seven men. And like I said, if you if you join the network and you join the congregation, we'll explain how that worked. And you'll be shocked. This has always been available. Just the same as that Stephen who wrote. And he says, no, that wasn't Jesus. That was Moses' father-in-law. No, that was Jesus. There it is, right there. You know, I mean, you can look it up. I'm not making it up. It's right there. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's Mark six thirty nine. Go read it in 40. And you go figure out where it says it in Luke. You didn't know that? You didn't know that Jesus commanded that you, you gather in companies of 10 and then organize those companies in ranks upon ranks of 50s and 100s? You didn't know Jesus commanded that and you say you love Jesus? I mean, that's kind of like, when I went around and I asked rooms full of pastors, whole room full of pastors, hundreds of years of study, I said, "What did Jesus call the weightier matters? Can you list them off?" They didn't even. Know. They all looked at each other like, you know, <laughs> like, like I was speaking Greek. They didn't know what I was talking about. He said something about weightier matters. I don't really know what you're talking about. Well, they could quote the Bible left and right, but they couldn't tell you what Jesus called the weightier matters. What the heck? How could they miss that over and over and over again? And yet you tell me you love Jesus and you're not doing what he commanded? You've been listening to me for years and years and years and you're not in a congregation of ten families yet? That are organized in rank upon ranks of fifties and hundreds? Why? Why? Don't you love Jesus? Because he commanded it. That's what it says. You know, so anyway, come and join the study call and find out what you're missing. You know, the mysteries of the kingdom, they're there in the Bible text. 
Sometimes they're written between the lines. In this case, he actually just told you right out. And you still missed it. Why did you miss it? Why didn't you see this sooner? How could you miss this? Well, you're not missing it now. Are you hearing it now? You need to turn what you are hearing into action. Because if the prodigal son kept feeding the pigs and did not decide to walk home to be a servant in his father's house, his father would have never run out and met him and killed the fatted calf. And if the people did not sit down in the tens, fifties, and hundreds, they refused to do it because they don't like organized religion. (laughs) There would have been no loaves and fishes that day. (laughs) And they would have all gone home hungry. You need to get organized. Organized religion is not bad. Organized financial institutions. But, now I'll tell you, those seven men who were a financial institution, put over the business of banking. They were a charitable organization. They were a non-profit. They did not loan money out or, or transfer fund for profit. And I, I can give you stories of seven men going on, even in, in Ephesus, years and years later, where they did not do this for profit. And such organizations still exist today and you can organize them. But first, you have to sit down in tens, fifties, and hundreds. You can't just be on an email group. You have to organize yourselves. I'm not going to organize you from the top down. You have to organize yourself. This is what the church is supposed to do is help you sit down in companies and rank upon rank. But you have to choose to do it. And so, Jesus has been telling you, I've been telling you, now, what's your heart tell you? Are you going to be organized in the pure practice of pure religion by unspotted from the world where you don't need to apply for the benefits of the world because you have the benefits of Christ? If you want God to hear you, you have to do this. He's not going to hear you If you're going to keep feeding the pigs. Now I'm not telling you not to pay your taxes. You may have to pay your tally of bricks. But you have to learn how to glean in the field at night for your straw. For the benefits of Christ. And that means. That means you have to come together. To be a benefit to others. Because you have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. This is how it works. This is how the kingdom works. You're either working towards the kingdom. Seeking the kingdom. Or you're not. You tell me why you haven't gathered together in the tens, fifties, and hundreds according to the commands of Christ. Because that's what he's telling you. And uh, until then, (laughs) I can't help you, but we'll be right back.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, how many people during the break went to the preparingyou.com and signed up for the network? <laughs> well, don't put it off because there ain't going to be no loaves and fishes for you until you sit down in those ranks. So anyway, you need to start organizing yourselves in the practice of pure religion and an organized religion, religious fashion. That's what Christ said. And it's, it's just common sense. How in the world will you take care of one another if you do not do that? How in the world will you do a good job taking care of one another? Yeah, yeah, you didn't know it before, but now you know it. And if you come to the study on Tuesday, we can even share more information with you on this subject. But back to Mark, uh, and we're just using Mark as a kind of a springboard. I've, I've never really met the guy or talked to the guy. I've seen some of his videos and heard some of his audios and heard him on other stations and stuff like that. And, uh, we may not be in that much disagreement. And like I say, he's very passionate, but he also seems very angry. But that's just, maybe that's just his demeanor. Uh, again, I don't want to talk about him so much, but about some of the things that he set, says. So anyway, we see that uh, a statist believes in authority. So, and he believes that the government should have control over the political and e- economic policies of uh, society, but an anarchist, the government, the power of government is in the hands of the individual, not in the collective, like a democracy, uh, not in uh, you know uh, the proletariat or anybody else. It's in the hands of the individual, and he he produces a child. That's his child. He produces a boat. He makes a boat. He grows a tree, cuts it down, saws it up into boards, makes a boat. That's his boat. It's 100% his. If he wants to be a successful society, he has to care about other members of his society as much as he cares about himself. And there's even provisions in the biblical text for foreign aid, which is, go look up Red Heifer and you'll see what foreign aid is. And it has to do with spreading this spirit of righteousness to others. This is what evangelizing is. This is what church planting is. It's not what you see most people doing because most people think religion is what they think about God. So they they actually even have wars. Uh, Religions and this idea, like I said, in 200 years they changed the definition of religion. It's been fluctuating back and forth for the last 2,000 years, 4,000 years what religion is. Nimrod had a religion. Cain had a religion. Um, Pharaoh had a religion. But the religion of God is how you take care of the needy of your society. And if you're going to do it according to the God of heaven, you have to do it by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty and not by force. In other words, you have to do it by love. And the bonds of love are real. Somebody said that giving... There can be no strings attached. There are no temporal strings. If you freely give, and this is what you had to do, burn offering was something freely given, given up. It wasn't actually set on fire. It was given up entirely. As if you, it didn't exist to you anymore at all. You cast your bread upon the waters. I mean, why do we think that a burnt offering means you set something on fire? That's a preconceived notion that has been taught to us. Why aren't we going down to the lake and throwing bread out on the lake? 
Because it says you need to cast your bread upon the waters in hopes that it returns to you after many days. These are metaphors. <laughs> they're allegories. It tells you that they're allegories. And uh, uh, it tells you that actually in the biblical text. And common sense should tell you. So, yeah, you go out, you be charitable, you get to decide how much you're going to give and to whom you're going to give it. And hopefully you look out amongst yourselves and you find men you trust and you give it to them and they help take care of the widows and orphans and truly needy of society in a way that strengthens the poor. It is not enough to do no harm. I will not take the benefit financial benefit. Yeah, I'll take the passport. Yeah, I'll take the social security number. Yeah, but I will not take the benefit. Well, those are benefits. And I'm not telling you you can't take those things. I'm telling you repent. Think a different way. Turn around and go that way. Gather in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Don't look to gather with saints. If you found a congregation of saints, there's no reason to think that they're going to let you in. You gather with whoever you will gather with and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Choices are still in the hands of the individual. The only choice you give up is what you give up to your minister. What you hand him. And you say, I'm going to give you this because I'm going to test to see if I can trust you. You can tell him that. And see if I can trust you to do well with this. But I'm going to be watching you to see what kind of a job you do. If you don't do a good job, I'm going to give to somebody else who I think will do a good job. You're the elder. You're the presbyter. That's what it means to be an elder. The elder of the family. You have a responsibility to pick your ministers wisely. And there's not a lot to pick from. But you're, the fact is, the elders aren't doing very good either. So, but with practice makes perfect. Learn to seek that kingdom. Practice being a kingdom economy. And, and, and I see results starting to change. But we need to do this in earnest. We need to sit down in those ten, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. We need to give as we wish to be given to. We need to forgive as we wish to be forgiven. We need to do the will of the Father. The will of Christ was to sit down in those tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. He commanded that they do that. Everybody was hungry right then. But he demanded that they do that. Now, I'm inviting you to the wedding feast of the bride and groom. That's what I'm doing now. I'm telling you, come. Sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Now, you need to come and put on the wedding garments of Christ. You need to come in the right spirit. I can guarantee that most of you are not coming in that perfect spirit of righteousness yet. You may have an inkling, an impression of what you think is righteous. You, if you hear this message at all, you, you must be waking up. Because why do you think that has been sitting there in that verse and other verses all these years and people who study the Bible miss it. Why did all those ministers miss Jesus' condemnation of those who did not tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith? How could they miss that? 
because there's scales on their eyes. Now we're lifting those scales off. We're showing you what you're missing. You're either going to hate me or you're going to love Christ and start doing what he said and commanded that you do. So you're going to either gather and sit down together with that desire to do the will of God and keep the commandments of Christ or not. If you sit down, now a process can begin of learning to seek the righteousness on a day-to-day basis. And that will change because you'll be dealing with different people. Righteousness is the same, but what you do will change according to who you're sitting with. Are you sitting in forgiveness? Are you immersing yourself into forgiveness? Are you immersing yourself into generosity and charity and love? Are you immersing yourself into the performance of the duty you have to God to feed his sheep, which is your duty to your fellow man? So there, uh, I believe in authority. I believe that the authority of every father should be in the hands of every father. And the, the authority of every mother should be in the hands of every mother. And the authority that they bestow upon their children should be in the hands of those children according to their will. And as they grow up, you can ask, who was your father? Who fed you? Whose table did you eat at? Did you eat at the table of Caesar or the table of your father? What if your father is sitting at the table of Caesar? Can he pass on to you his natural liberty if he has already sold himself into a corvy system of statutory bondage. You can't inherit those natural rights. He's already sold them to another for benefits so that he can send you to public school and and uh, and have somebody else take care of his parents so that he had to do no more ought for his parents. You know, when Jesus condemned them for their Corbin, which I say is the social security system, and and I show you in in our articles that Herod set up such a system where you signed up and then you had to pay in. And we see the blind man's parents afraid to profess Christ because they knew that if they professed Christ, they would be cast out of the system. They'd lose their social security. And so they would not profess Christ. But the blind man did. And Christ went up and gathered them up and you know, come follow me. Just, you know, walk around behind me. Is that what following me? No, following this the way. He was building a network of people who would sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands to take care of one another, including that blind guy. For all I know, that blind guy got a job with Priscilla and Aquila building tents. He could see now. So, yeah, he probably was pretty handy with his hands. Had a good sense of touch and feel, but now could also see. So he could get employment in the kingdom, which wasn't going to take away 20% of his labor or 30% of his labor or 40% of his labor. All of his labor was his. But it would not work if he didn't choose to give. But that choice would be in his hands. He would choose who to give it to. In the world, you don't get a choice. 
You just give it and they appoint people to use it and they take and take and take and take and they get guys uh, running around <laughs> uh, abusing people and you don't have any, you have no recourse because you don't control the purse strings. You've given up that choice. So I do believe in authority. I believe in the authority of the Father, but I believe that your Father should be in heaven. But if you keep making your father the fathers of the earth, or simply deny both fathers, because see, if you won't sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, you're denying Christ. You're denying, you say, I don't want to keep his commandments, because he commanded that we do this before we eat, before we will receive. I got people who've been, in, you know, connected by email and a network for years and years and years, they keep running on financial hard times and they keep coming back and saying we need help because we're on hard times again. But he, he won't gather in the tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands. He won't join a congregation, but he keeps coming back and wanting help. It's like saying, well, I don't want to sit down in the fifties and hundreds, but I still want some of them loaves and fishes. Guess what? If you didn't sit down in that, that, those those companies, according to the command of Christ, I don't think you got no loaves and fishes. <laughs> I think that if if they, they don't they don't make a record of it anywhere that I can see yet, but maybe I haven't seen that either. They would not sit down. They wouldn't. I'm sure there were some that would not gather. Oh, why do we have to do this? Because you ain't getting no loaves and fishes unless you do. So what's keeping you? Pride? Vanity? You know, what kept the the brothers of Joseph from from not beating them up? Now, we know that they were wanted to kill them. And that some of them said, no, we can't do that. We can't go that far. Good thing, because they'd all been wiped out. Because <laughs> as you sow, so shall you reap. You need to gather with the intention of being of service to others. Whether you whether you give a mite or half of everything you have. That's between you and God. But you need to come to serve if you want to be served. You need to sit down and gather in organized religion. Not authoritarian religion. See, that's the term they should be using. Jesus did not believe in authoritarian religion. He said, you are not to exercise authority. You are not to be like the arche, the princes, the rulers of the Gentiles. Who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority. Jesus said, it's not to be that way with you. That's authoritarian religion. That's the coercive church of the state. But you need to be practicing pure religion. And virtue and caring about others as much as you care about yourself. That's why you gather. If you refuse to gather, then you are sending me the message. I don't care about others as much as I care about myself. I'm going to form my own denomination. My own religion. And then if I need help, I'm just going to beg off of other people. We'll get a sign and go on the street corner with the other bums. Because if you won't sit down, why do you expect loaves and fishes? 
So, nothing wrong with organized religion. It's how you organize it. Nothing wrong with a financial institution. It's how you organize that financial institution. And there's nothing wrong with organized government. It's how you organize that government. Is it a self-government? That's Is it people who come together in free assemblies, making free will offerings to take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty? Or is it a government that comes together to force the offerings of the people, willing to take a bite out of one another, to eat the flesh of their neighbor by force and take the blood from their neighbor? And we even refer to taxes as blood. Blood-sucking government, blood-sucking, you know, what they say, politics. It's from two words, poly, meaning many. Tick, meaning a blood-sucking insect. <laughs> but politics, if it, you have the policies of Christ, then you don't, you're not blood-sucking insects. You're self-governing, sitting down together, organizing yourselves to be an efficient body politic that allows and forgives and permits individual choice and depends not upon entitlements, but upon hope. Operates not upon force, but upon love. And then in, then there are strings attached, but they are invisible strings of the Spirit that bind us together spiritually. When that network is created, then you will see miracles. And until that network is created, there is no body to receive the miracles of Christ. You need that nervous system, that spiritual nervous system of Christ, to receive the miracles of Christ. But if you won't even do what he commands, then I suspect you don't really love him. You love your own ideologies, your own religiosity, your own philosophies more than you love Christ because he didn't say, you know, if you guys get a chance, uh, could you kind of organize yourselves in, in, in small groups and then repeat that, you know, ranks, uh, you know, just if you want. That's not what he said. He commanded that they sit down in these companies and ranks, repeated over and over and over again. He commanded that. And yet you tell me you love Jesus, but you won't do that. Well, it's time, you know, you tell me you love Jesus, but how do I know you're not a liar? By what you do. James says, by what they do. That's how you judge them. So you tell me you love Christ. You tell me you believe that he's he's the Messiah. But you don't do what he says. So why should I believe you? According to James, I shouldn't believe you. I believe your faith is dead. If you do not have the humility to do this simple thing. This This easy, simple thing of gathering together with the intent to serve. To sit down together. How will you receive the seed of Moses into your hearts and your minds if you will not even sit down together? Now, the ministers, 
they need to wash your feet <laughs> and wash the feet of one another. And that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm putting out that your feet are dirty. You've been walking in the wrong paths. Now, let's start walking in the righteous paths of Christ. So, uh, we'll do another show this afternoon. Uh, we can have guests on that if anybody wants to become a guest. If anybody wants to come on and call, join the network and get your telephone number. Because I, can, I can't see who's calling in. I see people calling in, but I will not answer calls of people whose number is not on the list. I will take calls from anybody whose number is on the list. And so get on the list if you want to make a call and ask questions. And we will help you with this process of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We will explain to you, just like I shot off an email to this Stefan, who said, that wasn't Jesus. That was the father-in-law of Moses. And I admit, I sent out the newsletter and I didn't show you where the quote was. But if you went to the study page, you'd see where the quote was. Or the quotes are, because there's more than one. Uh, but he didn't take the time to do that, and that's fine. I forgive him. But he was wrong. That was Jesus who said that. And he didn't just say it a couple days ago, and now you're getting to hear about it. He said it 2,000 years ago. Is written down in the scriptures, and you evidently missed it. And the Baptists missed it, and the Presbyterians missed it, and the Catholics missed it, and the... Um, you know, I can't think of Methodist, Lutheran, uh, <laughs> Seventh-day Adventist. They all missed it. And yet, the early church was organized in this way. Now, the Church of Constantine was not. All the people of Milan elected Ambrose to be their bishop. That isn't the way it works. The way it works is ten families sit down together and they choose a minister and then that minister is chosen by nine other congregations. Or that, uh, that, that, that minister gets together with nine other congregational ministers. And he picks a minister. And that minister was called an overseer. Because he is helping 100 families connect in a network of charity. In an organized religion and government where the individual has the authority to govern himself. If he will not govern himself according to the virtue or righteousness of Christ, he will not remain free. He will not become free if he is already a slave. So, I do believe in authority. I don't believe in rebellion. I believe that that authority should be in the hands of the individuals who make God their ruler in their heart and their minds. And uh, those who make other men rulers in their hearts and their minds. They are under the authority that they have created. And they will have things taken and taken and taken and taken until they cry out. But until they repent and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness... They will remain under tribute. Probably rebels and debaters. 
but they will remain under tribute. Christ had a plan. He showed us that plan. That plan reaches both into the physical realm and into the spiritual realm. And it's a journey. It's an individual journey, but it's an individual journey we must make together. Until then, peace upon your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.